Philly since we've last spoken. Uh, Andy McCullough, who was here last week, has moved on from the Mets beat for now, and we are joined today by an, another national writer from The Athletic, Mr. Rustin Dodd. Rustin, how's it going today? I am doing well. Um, so, like we started with Andy, you've been covering the whole league this year. I know you've been around the Mets some as well. Um, if you are just watching the Mets, as I have been, and I think a lot of our listeners have been, this looks like a convincingly excellent team. They've had great hitting. Uh, there's been some shakiness in the bullpen, which is, I know, something you've written about. Um, but they've, they've had tremendous starting pitching. And their wins have been, I keep using the word, convincing. From a national po point of view, does this team look to be for real? I mean, the simple answer is yes. I mean, I think it is a little like too early, you know, if they uh, for any team to to make like sweeping generalizations or whatever or conclusions, I should say. But of course, I, I think I'm stealing, I think, from Andy because in, in Ken Rosenthal's kind of piece on Buck Showalter. But I, I think if you're like looking for maybe the three reasons why the Mets seem for real, um, you know, it's like one Steve Cohen is showing what happens when you when you spend money and, and spend money wisely. Um, and I think that's, you know, more than anything, I think that's the, the number one reason uh, is is the moves they made in the offseason. Because I think, like, number two, I think this team just seems to have so much more depth. And it seems, mm -hmm. you know, like there's professional hitters all the way down the lineup uh, in a way that, you know, the lineups have been, you know, it was, the offense was pretty good in 2020, I, you know, I think, and, you know, there, there's, they've had good players, but it just seems like there's, the additions they made, even though they were more like supplementary or complementary, um, they, they just fit really well, and it, it just feels more professional, and then I'll, you know, obviously Buck Showalter up the same thing, it just, it feels, um, in addition to to the talent they have, uh, it feels that they are they are run in a way that is is you know professional to use th that word twice. But I think you know it's like I don't know that managers are the most important thing in baseball. But I think mm -hmm. when you do see something like the Mets this year, you see where you can you can have those little gains um, from from just somebody who who knows what they're doing and is you know is confident and good with the media and good in the clubhouse and all those little things managers do so yeah long way of saying I, I i feel like the mets they are whatever for real means uh in early may they're they are for real yeah i'm i'm glad you mentioned the show alter thing it was something we talked about and because we, we actually got a concrete example of like good managing paying off this year which is you know one of these such uh such a nebulous concept like that the manager might help you win an extra one or two or three games across the uh, across the course of a season. I think at this point, um, most baseball fans realize that it is not like entirely the, the manager's performance that dictates how, how a team does over the course of 162 games. But Showalter, we heard, we read about like stressing, um, learning the rules and, and uh, you know, odd scenarios the team could take advantage of. And then they got one with, a, with an appeal play that led to a run uh, thanks to, you know, Showalter's uh, preparedness there, and to to uh, to go back to your first point, um, I think even a more recent example of the way Steve Cohen has been willing to spend comes from the fact that they cut Robinson Cano when they still owed him another forty million dollars uh, when it was clearly the 
the right baseball move. I think that there are, um, I think that there are plenty of owners in Mets history who wouldn't have cut bait there, and I think that there are still plenty of owners in baseball, maybe even 29 owners in baseball, who can't so easily stomach a 40 million dollar loss when it's the right move for the baseball team. No, definitely, and I, I think it it shows something to me that that even if you know the hypothetical scenario you could see another with another team or another owner an owner saying like oh yeah make make the right baseball move uh but the general manager then saying like okay i know he's saying that but i'm not gonna cut the guy uh that's making 30 million dollars because you know that (laughs) that that's gonna fall back on me at some point you know so i'm gonna do what i you know like the unstated thing and and probably make the owner a little bit more happy um so i i think that the fact that they made that move not only did it show you know Steve Cohen's willing you know to to be more focused on baseball than and winning than anything but I, I think it showed you know just the cohesiveness in the organization um, it, that showed something too yeah and and um, you know even I think in retrospect uh, that trade which which looked so I I think pretty terrible to a lot of people at the time giving up a huge a huge prospect in Jaron Kelenic who hasn't done yet much yet for the Mariners, still has time, uh, given up another pretty, pretty big prospect, sorry, and Justin Dunn, a pitcher who's now hurt, um, bringing back Cano's contract. There's a, there's a lot to that trade, but um, I think Edwin Diaz has to come into focus a little bit because of all of the players involved in that deal, he has been by far the most valuable to his new club. Um, and he's a guy has been in the news a little bit, just, just murmurs, murmurs, because... Uh, Mets fans need to worry about something, and something to now worry about is the fact that Edwin Diaz is a, is set to be a free agent after the after the season. Chris Bassett, another guy who has been tremendous for them this year, set for free agency after the season. Uh, does a team, does a GM facing a postseason, a potential postseason run, and I think everyone's now expecting the Mets to at least be in the mix for the postseason? Um, do you worry at the same time? About locking guys like like that up in season. Well, I mean, it is rare to uh, to make those sort of moves in season, just with any organization. I think um, you know you, you see it at sometimes, but generally speaking, players who are pending free agents, if they take it this far, uh, they 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 want to test the market, and also if if they haven't gotten a deal done yet, um, then you know oftentimes the you know the, you just don't see teams making these sort of moves um but they're both interesting to me cases because i i think bassett is the one that is a little bit more interesting to me uh as a guy that you could potentially go lock up because one he just got here right so it's i think you know if if you would have done that deal right after the the trade and also the lockout you know the relationship just would have been I guess so. That um, was non-existent almost. Um, so I think maybe you you would have seen both sides. And again, I'm kind of speculating, but just the idea of doing an extension right away with a guy that just got here, who you haven't really had a chance to really get to know at all. I can see mm-hmm. a little trepidation on both sides just do, entering in that sort of deal. But you know, it's it's gone so well the first month. Um, yeah, now you're in the honeymoon phase, right? Like now this is this is when to do it. Like everybody loves each other. Yeah, exactly. So I, that one makes sense to me as as a deal that, you know, if if you know these sort of extensions are rare, that one actually makes sense. That that would be a, kind of an obvious reason why, 
you know, they wanted a little bit of time to get to know each other, see if there was a fit, see if he liked playing in New York, see how he fit in the in the rotation, all those things. Mm-hmm. And just the needs looking forward in the starting rotation, I, I think he's, you know, an obvious candidate. Um, and if they could find the right number, um, you know, I, I, I think that that deal makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, Diaz, I, I think just speaking more generally, not just about him, but, you know, relievers are so volatile. Um, mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's been a little volatile as well. Maybe not as volatile as, you know, some t- frontline relievers, but there's a little bit of uncertainty there. So that one makes, you know, makes you pause just a little bit more and maybe you want to wait it out. Um, but uh, but the Bassett one is, yeah, is intriguing as a, as a guy that could, you know, just be right there with Max Scherzer heading into the future. And that's just one less, you know, rotation spot you really have to think about as you are, you know, figuring out what's going to happen with Jacob deGrom and, mm-hmm. and figure out how you get fill out the rest of the rotation, uh, you know, in 2023. Yeah, something I'm, I'm just thinking about now, which is, um, which is complicated for this season, is that I, as, as far as I know, they still haven't settled uh, whether they will be uh, compensatory picks for, for qualifying offers. Uh, and right, because that, that's going to depend on whether they implement an international draft. They still, that was like part of the negotiation that they sort of kicked down the road in the CBA agreement. Um, and so if you're a team like the Mets and you're looking at, uh, you know, if it was last year, two years ago, both Bassett and Diaz and, and Brandon Nimmo as well, who seems more, uh, more certainly slated for free agency, uh, all of those guys are, are pretty obvious candidates for qualifying offers. And so, you know, you approach the off, off season saying, well, hopefully we can, you know, if you want, you know, hopefully we can, we can get something done and hammer out an extension here. But if not, worse comes to worse, we offer this guy the qualifying offer and we do get something in return when he walks. That might not be the case now. Do you think that changes the, um, the urgency a little bit to get an extension done? I mean, it offers a little bit more incentive. That's for sure. I mean, I think it's I think it's a little bit up in the air on exactly what the compensatory pick will be. But I think the Mets would get something on those guys, but maybe not as uh, good as it was in the past. Essentially, um, mm-hmm. it, a little bit later uh, in the draft, as opposed to like maybe right after the first round. Um, but no, it's it's a good point that it's something the, the certainly the Mets will want to. Keep in mind as they, you know, think about what a what a Bassett extension would look like, or, um, you know, what a Diaz one would look like too. Uh, and you know, now that I'm now that I'm thinking it through from from their standpoint, if you're a guy like Bassett, it might make you that much more eager to to test free agency, right? Because we've seen so many guys. Michael Conforto is a great example who have uh, lingered in free agency or, or or been less desirable because they're attached to that that compensation. Uh, if that's not going to be the case anymore, if teams and, and it seems like uh, like at the very least the signing team won't won't be giving up picks. Um, I think we will likely come out of, of however they settle it. Um, you think you know a guy like like the calculus changes for a guy like Bassett from his point uh, because he, now there's no restriction. Maybe he can sign a you know pitches like he has. Maybe he can see nine figures, which would have been out of the question I think for a guy attached to a to a, a compensatory pick last year. No, d- definitely. I, you know, I don't know that his market would, would be that high, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, nine, fi- nine figures is high for a 34-year-old pitcher. He's not going to get that. I, I'm, uh, unless Steve Cohen really is really, really feeling it. But, uh, you know, but, I mean, but, but like maybe he's looking at the difference between like 2 and 30 or 
five and sixty. You know, so something like that, where where uh, it's a much bigger deal because a team doesn't isn't worried about when it, it becomes just money to a team. No, I, again, I I don't you know I haven't asked Chris Bassett this. I don't know exactly his situation, but he's an an intriguing guy in the sense that he got to the big leagues a little bit later. He, he you know was a late bloomer. This is his one chance to cash in. Um, you would think, um, and but you know if it's also a guy that's not made you know the kind of money that uh, some people have at that point in their career, especially at his age. So maybe he's you know amenable to the idea of just a guarantee right now, you know, and being yeah. uh, you know pitching alongside Max Scherzer on a team that seems like it's on the upswing and is going to be competitive, you know. In, you know, into the future, um, you know, maybe he would be into that. Again, it's kind of speculation, but uh, he's, you know, he's not a guy who's already signed, you know, one mega deal and now he's looking for the next one. Like he's, um, you know, this is his, this is sort of his chance. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. And that's something that comes up a lot when you see these, uh, what look like very team-friendly extensions to young players is like, well, okay, but this is this guy's chance to go from being like rich right now to rich forever. And, you know, whether or not, whether that's, a, you know, it sounds like a big difference in, you know, $20 million over the course of the next, you know, eight years or however long these deals are going to be. But uh, if, you know, that, that difference is, is that you're getting it guaranteed up front, um, I think a lot of guys understandably opt to just be a rich guy and not be a mega rich guy um, uh, on a totally separate subject. And something I, I, you did write about earlier in the season, or not earlier in the season, just a, just a couple weeks ago. Um, something we, we fielded a lot of questions about, I fielded a lot of questions about on Friday in a Q&A show, uh, is the Mets hitting this year and their, their approach. You used the word professional to describe this team. I think the word professional certainly describes uh, how their offensive approach has looked to date. Uh, just up and down the lineup, guys are, are taking long at-bats, not chasing terrible pitches outside of the strike zone. And, uh, and something I think a lot of people have noticed Hitting the ball the opposite way some of the times, so or beating the shift sometimes. We've seen uh, teams shift less frequently against guys like Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil because they've been spraying the ball over the field a, a little bit better. Um, how much of this can I attribute to Eric Chavez, their new hitting coach? To be completely honest, I I don't know. Like I, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, so. I can't say for certain exactly how you know uh, Eric Chavez and Jeremy Barnes are. Uh, you know, affecting certain individual players, the approaches. Um, I do think that there is something interesting going on with with both of those guys in the sense that they are sort of reflective of where the, the sport is right now and is maybe going in the future, which is a little bit more specialized coaching and bigger coaching staffs. Mm -hmm. You know, if you like think about the San Francisco Giants, they've obviously gotten a lot of publicity for this. They have you know, a million hitting coaches, they have, you know, uh, all sorts of analysts around, they have, you know, coaches everywhere, you know, like they have, feels like they have more coaches and players sometimes. Um, and I think, I, I wish I could remember who um, got this quote, but, you know, Evan Longoria uh, was quoted as, you know, essentially saying something like, there are, you know, so many guys around that there's going to be somebody that you match up with communication-wise, there's going to be somebody that you that you like to talk to and can help you get better. And I think the Mets have, hitting-wise, they seem, and I emphasize seem because it is early, but they seem to have found a, a nice mix of essentially kind of a, a young guy who understands analytics and understands sort of 
that side of being a hitting coach, you know, how to study film, how to, you know, look at mechanics, but also, you know, just how to look at numbers and try to figure things out and, you know, solve problems, all those sort of things. And finding a guy who, in uh, Eric Chavez, who has the major league experience and also can sort of talk to players through the ups and downs of a season or, you know, how to approach a pitcher or, or how to, you know, get through a slump. And, you know, so at least from, from the outside um, and talking to the players, it seems like they found a nice balance. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Mets have sort of kind of slalom back and forth, whether it's, you know, Chili Davis or Hugh Quattlebaum, like it's, uh, you know, sort of old school guy and then, you know, maybe a little bit more analytics and, but they seem to kind of have tried to thread the needle. And I think maybe that's, you know, why, you know, there's, I think most guys seem comfortable. Or if you just like look at them, the, a lot of guys that have kind of been up and down, Jeff McNeil, Lindor obviously struggled a little bit last season. Maybe that's his first year in New York, has nothing to do with the hitting coaches. You know, he's a veteran, whatever. But I think guys have found comfort. Um, and maybe that's that's kind of been a, a big key and shown up in the numbers so far. Do you think that good hitting breeds good hitting? Like, you know, we I think that people have looked to searched for the end of the earth for evidence of lineup protect, protection and, and never really found it, except every single time you ask a baseball player about it, they say, like, yeah, this is definitely a thing. You can tell how you know, pitchers are going to approach you differently based on the guys around you on the lineup. Certainly, we know pitchers approach hitters differently when there are runners on base. It becomes slightly easier to hit. Do you think that there is a, a, a little bit of a, of a contagious hitting thing going on with the Mets right now where, where every guy performing well sort of lends itself to every other guy performing well? Yeah, I think so. And I think guys It's a like very leading question. question. You couldn't have said no. I could, you, you wouldn't have been able to say no. Uh, well, I, I, I think, you know, the, uh, the, new, the guys that they signed, uh, Eduardo Escobar and Mark Hanna, those guys... They see a lot of pitches, and um, they are both, both, like, they are both, I guess you would say they're patient hitters, but they're also very, they grind out at bats, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of foul balls, they they have long at bats, um, they get on base, but it's, you know, not necessarily just strictly because, oh, they have really good eyes, and they take a ton of pitches, and they also strike out. No, it's more, they're, they feel like more like the professional hitter in the sense of, like, they are you know, not going to be cheated, um, and they're going to have a plan. And I think, you know, those guys, how has it? Uh, how have they affected the, the rest of the guys? Did that does that rub off on guys? Is it just strictly the case of okay, you have two more good hitters in the lineup down at, near the bottom, uh, and that just puts more stress on a pitcher, and more often than not, you're going to, you know, put up a more runs. You know, um, you know, it's 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 hard to say exactly hitting is weird and you know baseball's weird in that sense and I think um, but I, I do think that just the depth of the lineup um, you know stands out where you, you know you have a starling Marte who's who's not even really you know hit all that well but he, right he's down at the necessary you know he's not necessarily needing to be that guy right he's right I don't know even off the top of my head what is he the sixth or seventh best 
hitter in the lineup most days. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think like career skill level, he's higher than that. But this year, he's been like their seventh or eighth best hitter in the lineup all, all year. You know, outside of the the catcher spot, they haven't gotten a ton from from Dominic Smith as a DH yet. Um, that's something to watch. I think it's uh, it's obviously the easiest position to upgrade if you need to. Uh, I don't think they're doing anything behind the plate, but uh, yeah. But other than that, like Marte has been really the, their worst offensive player. I don't think it'll keep up, but uh, like you said, like that's a that's a good guy to have as like the weak spot in your lineup. No, definitely. So I I I just think the 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 depth. Uh, I keep I've said that like five times, but um, no, we did. Tim and I talked about it all off season. Like it was this was a has been a huge problem for the team in the past. Um, you know, we we kept bringing up. Tyler McGill and, and David Peterson is like guys you you love to have as your sixth and seventh starters and, and don't necessarily want as your fourth and fifth starters. Um, and in McGill, I think you have a great example of like this is this is a credible guy to have as your sixth major league starter. Uh, I don't think that they could have foreseen him pitching as well as he has. But certainly when you go into a season with, you know, where that's the replacement, where the replacement is someone who, who you've already seen at least, you know, uh, acquit himself at the major league level, then, uh, you know, I think the whole team probably feels a little bit better and the whole team obviously performs a lot better. Definitely, yes. Um, with, with, with the opposite field thing, and this is, this is I guess, like purely speculative, um, something I wonder about, because, it, because we always hear people say, and we always, and you think it when you see the, the shift, it's like, why can't a guy just smack the ball the opposite way? Um, and what I have come to believe is that it's too hard. Like that, that I think that that majorly pitching in this day and age is just is simply too good for guys to be like worried about controlling their contact so much as just like I have to sit on a pitch and try to hit it as hard as I can. Like, do you think there's a a world in which spray hitters return to the big leagues? I mean. Um... Possibly. Uh, so are, are the question is, do, do we think like this this launch angle to use a shorthand is slightly cyclical and that we are about to see slight a uh, slight return, relatively speaking, to uh, more contact hitting? Well, I guess also like, is that even possible against today's major league pitching? Because I, I feel like. What it seems like to me, and this is like I've you've, you, I've seen this reported like very sort of because players will never really admit to guessing, but what it seems like is you kind of have to guess, you know, like because if you like you just you're not going to be able to adjust to a 93 mile an hour slider if you're sitting on a 101 mile an hour fastball, and so like maybe you're you know the all or nothing approach is just sort of the only natural one against the the current state of major league pitching, and. As much as we love it when when Jeff McNeil slap, slaps the ball the opposite way, you have to say like that's the aberration and um, and it's not so we at least at the very least it's not so easy that guys can just be doing that all the time because you're trying to do it against pitches that, that are wholly different than the ones that guys saw in the '80s when that was a thing. Yeah, I think so. I think one of and maybe I'm not giving enough credit to you know like diehard baseball fans or whatever, but I think one of the the under you know like covered ways that that hitting coaches essentially like I think their real their real value is not necessarily in oh this guy's in a slump because he's you know dropping his hands slightly and we need to like do this drill to so he can feel that and get him back on track like that does happen but like I, I think most 
guys in you know modern baseball are confident in their swing they don't really want to change much they might even have like a, an instructor on the side that they work with both in the off season and also consult with a little bit in season uh i think you know you see that more and more and so where i think the hitting coaches you know uh can really you know be a separator i guess is in coming up with plans against pitchers right and saying okay we're gonna like he's gonna throw this pitch in this count and you can be ready for this pitch here and like in this situation like sit on this pitch you know on down the line and really preparing guys and so if you think about a guy like pete alonzo he may have you know you he may against a certain pitcher he may say like okay you can do damage on these two pitches and these are the ones you're going to be looking for anything else you know don't you know if you know don't give your a swing just you know take the take the single the other way and i think if you know that's i'm i'm making it up with alonzo but he you know went the opposite field the other day um and i think it, that's where i think um you know you can see you know hitting coaches can kind of be valuable and also if guys have the right approach um I think they can they get those A swings off in the right situations, but then, you know, kind of go the other way um, when when they don't have you know an advantage or when it's not an advantageous count. And I think a lot of that just goes into the preparation that you don't see behind the scenes uh, and the way these these hitters are prepared. And again, this is it's like we don't see all of it, but just looking at the results, it seems like the the Mets have been um you know pretty good in that area um so far this season well they've got three games in washington coming up uh, to ideally uh maintain that and uh rustin will be uh, will, will you be with the team in dc yes all right so rustin will be there and uh later in the week we will be back to talk about it more thank you for listening and rustin thank you for joining thanks ted thanks for having me peace out